Welcome to the Ready to Thrive podcast. My name is Jacqueline, and I don't know if you've ever felt like you are just surviving your life. I know I have, and that's why I created this space. I want to help you move from surviving to thriving. My goal is to help you get unstuck and actually enjoy your life. Each week, I'll be sharing practical tips and always point you to Jesus. So what are you waiting for? Let's get ready to thrive. Hi, and welcome to Ready to Thrive. I wanted to do a brief intro before diving into my conversation that I had with AJ Cheryl. And um, during the course of our conversation, I didn't ask him the most important question, which is just to have him go through and explain the difference between all of the different Enneagram types. And um, I'm going to do that really quickly here. And if you are listening and you're like, I don't know what the Enneagram is, that is totally fine. We're going to dive into that in my conversation with AJ. But um, very quickly, if you have never heard of the Enneagram, I am going to tell you um, about the nine different types, really just this personality sort of classification. Um, And we, again, go into the fact that this is not who you are, but just can be used as a tool. And that's what I love um, about various personality tools is that we just get to learn a little bit more about ourselves and how we relate to others. And we get to actually really uh, learn a little bit more about others in this process as well and how we can um, grow ourselves and relate to other people. So there are nine different types. um, And I'm going to share one word that kind of describes the type Then I'm going to share four other words that could be really related. And then he has here in his book um, something called the survival strategy. So as I'm reading this, you might be like, hmm, maybe this one um, relates the most to me. But I have just found in reading a few different Enneagram books and things like that, um, there are lots of different ways in which you can kind of um, figure out, oh, that actually sounds quite a bit more like me. And I even share in this episode, kind of the aha moment where I was like, yes, that is for sure the one that I sort of connect with the most. So first off, type one, the one word is perfectionist. So known as a perfectionist, four words to describe them would be idealist, principled, independent, and critical. Their survival strategy um, says, I must be perfect and good. Type two, their one word to describe them as a helper. The four words that they would relate to would be relational, generous, insecure, and self-forgetful. Their survival strategy would be, I must be helpful and caring. Type three, the one word is achiever. And four words they could connect to would be image conscious, ambitious, adaptable, and motivated. Their survival strategy is, I must be impressive, and attractive. Okay, we are going to flip over to page uh, type four. The one word is individualist, and four words to describe them would be dramatic, artistic, melancholic, and intuitive. Their survival strategy is, I must be unique and different. Type five is the investigator. Their four words would be perceptive, detached, informed, and introverted. Their survival strategy would be, I must be knowledgeable and equipped. Type six is the questioner. The four words to describe them would be 
fearful, loyal, procrastinator, and committed. Their survival strategy is I must be secure and safe. Type seven is known as the enthusiast. Their four words would be entertaining, accomplished, uninhibited, and manic. Their survival strategy, I must be fun and entertaining. Type eight, the one word is challenger. Uh, The four words are self-confident, decisive, just, and leader. Uh, Their survival strategy is I must be strong and in control. And lastly, we have the nine. Nine is known as a peacemaker. And the four words are peaceful, reassuring, complacent, and neglectful. Their survival strategy is I must maintain peace and calm. So I hope that helps you a little bit as we dive into this conversation I had with AJ Sherrill, the author of The Enneagram for Spiritual Formation. Hello and welcome to Ready to Thrive. I'm sitting here with AJ Sherrill, who is the author of The Enneagram for Spiritual Formation. Um, He is a pastor and an adjunct professor, and I'm hoping he can tell us a little bit more about where he is and even what an adjunct professor is for those of you who are like, I don't even know. Um, So AJ, tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I, I recently moved to Charleston, South Carolina. I'm an Anglican pastor here. Um, I am husband to an amazing woman named Elena and have a daughter named Eloise and adjunct professor are those of us who serve professorships that are not full-time. So we're not getting insurance coverage. Uh, we sort of help carry the teaching load, um, from afar. So I teach for Fuller Seminary. I teach the Enneagram. I also teach preaching. And so we're like really low contract professors, to just help a seminary uh, sort of get along and to specialize into certain areas of focus. Okay, awesome. Um, And you said you just moved to Charleston. How long have you been there? Yeah, I've been here a little over a month. Before then, I was pastor of a church in Grand Rapids called Mars Hill Bible Church. And then I was in Manhattan for years before that at at a church there in the city. And so it's been a, a bit of a wild but amazing ride. Wow. And that, so that's quite a weather jump from being in Michigan down to Charleston. Are you loving it so far? Yeah. I mean, what's crazy is I was in LA before New York. So I sort of, you know, part of my personality type, which we'll get into in a second, agility is, is, is signifies one of the types that I resonate with. And so I love change. I know some people hate it. I love transition. I love curiosity and new beginnings um, and so I'm trying to not move around so much these days yeah. for the sake of my daughter, yeah. but, uh, we're really excited to be in Charleston. What a cool city. Yeah. I've heard lots about it. I'd love to visit sometime. Um, uh, now I want to dive right in and I know there are probably people listening who are just saying, what is the Enneagram? So can you give me just a really quick, um, ex- explanation of what the Enneagram is? Yeah. So the Enneagram is a personality theory based on motives. It's a little bit different than behavioral theory. So it's not based on what you see necessarily. It's based on what's underneath what you see, which is why you should never type someone else because you don't know what's underneath that. You don't know what their motives are. And so it gives you nine types that we all seem to resonate with one more than another, even though they're all in you. And so they really just help you get a grasp on what's driving your behavior, why you do what you do, not just what you do. 
and helps you identify things that maybe you've subconsciously shoved under the rug and don't even realize. So I find it to be an extremely helpful tool to help me know what I don't know. Well, I love that um, in your book, you talk about how possibly figuring out your number may be the one you feel the most humiliated by. And I know as I was reading through the different numbers, I've, I've kind of been on the fence a little bit, like am I this number or this number? And there was this one, a few different phrases in this one section. I was like, oh yeah, those are totally the things that um, I wouldn't probably have always had the language for of identifying this as kind of being part of who I am. And I love that um, as you talk about in your book, really we all have a bit of all the numbers within us. And um, really this whole thing is for our transformation. That's a, a huge part of how we use this tool. And so um, I wanna very, very quickly just touch on some of the common Enneagram myths. You do a really great job sharing about this, both um, on Instagram, you've got some videos, um, and then also you share about this as well in your book. And so a few of the Enneagram myths that people may have, um, one is that just the myth that you are your number. Can you break that down for me? Yeah, there's a difference between your identity and your personality. And a lot of people don't know that. So like when you say you find your type by humiliation, well, some people might be like, wow, that's really shaming. It's only shaming if your personality is your identity, but your identity is something else. Your identity is that you're beloved. And when you get that clear and you realize that your identity is no longer up for negotiation, that God loves you, that God loves you, that God loves you, then it helps you look at your personality, which is where the Enneagram comes in, in such a way that doesn't lead you to shame and despair. You can laugh at yourself, you can cry at yourself, but it, it gives a different tone into the severity of it. And so I'm really clear that what your personality is, is a strategy. It's not your identity. Your personality is a strategy that you have adopted over the course of your lifetime to thrive and cope in a beautiful and broken world. So all your personality is, is a strategy that you have made within yourself a sort of commitment that this is how I'm going to show up in the world and this is what I do and why I do it. And so you can grow in that and you can become whole within your personality. Um, and I think that's why spiritual formation is really important with this tool. That's so good. I want to get back to um, being rooted in belovedness. And I think that is so key. Um, but before we go into that, um, another myth I have heard people um, share is just this idea that the Enneagram is new age. And I'm sure there would be people listening who are like, what is this brand new thing? So can you um, also speak to that? Yeah, I mean, it has a weird name and it has a weird symbol. So if you're listening and you're like, yeah, it's totally new age. I get that. I remember I first learned it from Father Richard Rohr eight years ago or so at his house. He was talking about it. And I was like, wait, go back. Did you say pentagram? He's right. like, no, Enneagram. I was like, okay, say more. And the Enneagram is a neutral tool. It's not a Christian tool. It's not a new age tool. It's a neutral tool, just like money. Money isn't evil or good. It's neutral. It depends on what you do with it. And it's the same thing with the Enneagram. You can use it for probably all sorts of reasons. I use it because it exposes things that I didn't previously name helps me to bring those things into the light of Christ and to seek spiritual practices that can help transform my personality. So I would not advocate that this is a Christian's tool and everybody needs to learn it. It's like, no, if it's helpful, great. But it is a kind of tool that's helpful to expose us to some realities that we have not named. And you cannot transform what you do not name. Yeah. And once you name those things, you can bring them out into the light and seek wholeness. 
That's so good. I think that's a good segue into that idea of um, belovedness. And, um, you know, you very quickly just sort of flew through that idea of naming things as well. And I think that is a huge part of um, the self-awareness, diving into more of who we are, all of the um, things that we see, the things that we portray, the things that are deep underneath. And so as you shared, um, one thing this tool is able to do is help name those things. So um, just quickly touching on that a little bit more, um, how does the Enneagram allow us, like we've named something, so we've, we've now realized, hey, here's this thing in my personality within me. Um, I'm able to identify it, name it, then kind of what, what do people do from there, right? Because yeah, so just saying it isn't going to help, right? Well, and a lot of people are content to just name their type and say they know the Enneagram. Right. And the Enneagram is a waste of time unless you want to work your number. Right. Adele Calhoun said that to me once. She's a great spiritual advisor for the world. Um, and you got to work it. So like, for example, uh, one of my critiques as a pastor of the church is that we batch spiritual formation. By that, I mean, we look at people and say, okay, everybody read your Bibles, pray, give some money and come to church and you'll be changed in 30 years. Well, most people after 30 years don't feel different. They just feel older. And so I started to wonder in, in my doctoral studies years ago, what if spiritual formation has a lot to do with our personality? In other words, if there are so many spiritual practices out there from nature to different ways we can read the Bible, different ways we learn to pray, different ways we learn to serve, there are so many different ways to encounter the presence of God in the world. And so what if that has something to do with my personality that spiritual formation can become a highly unique tool that I can sort of create a kind of spiritual pathway to seek the presence of God based on my personality. I'll give you an example. As someone that presents Enneagram 3, I'm sort of a type 3, so I love to achieve, I love to gain status, I love to um, sort of grow, uh, I love to do, maybe is the way to say that. I have to seek practices that help me learn to be before I do. And so the contemplative tradition is really hard for me. And because it's hard, I don't want to do it. And let's be honest, we like to do the things we like to do and then just ignore the rest. And then we call that following Jesus or whatever. And I think God has invited me to say, sometimes the things you don't want to do are the things that I'm calling you to do because that's where you'll become whole. AJ, I need you to learn to be with me before you do anything for me. And that's been really helpful for me as a pastor because I want to gain my worth by what I do, by my sermons, by my books or whatever. And God's like, if you can't just sit with me in the morning and learn to still your mind and be beloved, be loved, isn't that funny? Um, then, you know, it's possible that you're going to miss your whole transformation of what it means to be like me. And so I'm interested in those sorts of things. So I want to suggest through my book, through, through certain practices for each type, there are ways that God wants to challenge us into further Christ transformation. Well, that's so good. I think, um, like you said, that idea of working your number, um, I was just chatting with a friend and we talked about this idea of like the hard work of heart work. And it's just that um, kind of showing up and um, being able to dig a little deeper in what is really going on inside of you and then actually being able to sort of lean into that and embrace it. And so uh, I love that you have some of your 
you give us a spiritual uh, formation practice basically for each type. And you talk about this idea of these downstream practices. So things that we might naturally have a bent to, and then also these upstream practices. Um, I'm wondering if there's a few more you could uh, run through, like a few other numbers where you can give an example of a downstream and an upstream. Yeah, for sure. The downstream and upstream. So the upstream, just to be clear for your listeners, those are going to be practices that, um, you know, you wouldn't find necessarily easy for you, but you're going to have to fight against the current. And the downstream are the ones that, like a lazy river, once you sit in, it just, you naturally flow with it. So I'll give you uh, an upstream and a downstream for the five. The five is the investigator. And, you know, the downstream practices for fives are th those like inductive Bible study, um, things that require research, parsing a, a Greek word in a Bible verse. Um, you love to hoard knowledge and to gain information. And so there are practices like studying church history or taking a class at church or taking a seminary course or um, reading a good book, whatever. Like those are really great practices. Like you can sort of live and die in your head. And the upstream practice that you're going to have to fight against and really show up for is anything engaging your body. Because you can be so cerebral, so in your head, imagine like a bobblehead figure, if you remember those things from back in the 90s, you have to learn to engage both your heart and your body. So service projects are really helpful. In other words, how do you diffuse what you know into your hands and your feet? So it's good for you to show up in ways where you can learn to express your faith outside of your head and into the world. Um, if you are, um, let's say, uh, a four, what's going to come as the romantic, the individualist, you're going to love journaling, you're going to love talking about what you feel and connecting around what is true and good and beautiful and what's hard and what's lamentation, right? But I would say when you journal, make sure you always intercede for other people too because you have a tendency to be self-preoccupied and narcissistic. So that's the downstream. Journaling comes easy for you. you. You're very in touch with your feelings. You know, when it comes to the four, the upstream for you is gonna be feasting, learning to really show up to celebrate other people, learning to be the one that brings that bottle of champagne and cracks it open on, for the sake of someone else's birthday. Um, so getting out of your own sort of narrative and into celebrating life, celebrating with joy the people around you. So feast well and pay attention to Easter because that's a time in the church year that has much to say about your life. That's so good. Can you, let's do one more. Can you do um, the one? Oh, you would put me on the spot here. I don't even <laughs> have my notes. So the one, the downstream for you, again, like the four, but for different reasons is going to be journaling. One's also really like nature. Um, but I would say for the one, I'm sorry, let me reverse that. The, the, the journal is the upstream. That's the hard thing because you're, you're a perfectionist. So it's hard for you. You, you actually don't like the things that are in you that nag you to put it in a journal is so much harder because it's like, now I've named it and it's, it's that much more real. Um, so the, the one, I mean, I'll say it like this, when the world's going to hell, you're cleaning your bathroom because at least you can control that and make that sort of perfect. Right. So, um, the upstream for you when you journal, you know, it makes it hard to look at all the imperfections in life and your world and your marriage and your relationships in society. So make sure when you journal, you start with what's working in, in you and in the world. So a great place to start is to say, uh, is to have gratitude because joy is the fruit of gratitude. So something's working in your life. 
So always start your journal entries with some gratitude of what's working. Your downstream is nature. And um, the reason for that is because it, it's a beautiful invitation to sort of get into the wider beauty of creation. And when you're frustrated, when you feel like life isn't as it should be, you can remember the symphony of what God has created. It's, it's funny, I live in the low country here in Charleston. And what I have found is um, when I take walks through um, the country here, the most beautiful trees I find aren't the ones that are just like straight up and down. They're the ones with that like gnarly branch and that like asymmetrical moss. And it's like, it's finding the joy in the fact that that tree is beautiful, not because it's symmetric, but because it has all these sorts of amazing imperfections about it that make it so beautiful. So the one needs to learn to also value imperfections and that sometimes that can be okay. Well, that's so good. I can trust that if people have heard those few, they might be curious to know more about what um, you would suggest for their number. And you, you have so much more in here as well, even going to look at um, a biblical narrative, who we might identify with, um, what we can kind of learn from various people in the, in the Bible who may have shared um, possibly a similar number. So I want to go back to this idea of belovedness. And I think, um, like you were saying before, people can get this idea that they know the Enneagram, they have an idea of what um, their shadow side is, or what, you know, a little bit more about who they are, and that self-awareness. And so I love that you share um, so much in the beginning about the idea that really when we are able to understand our belovedness, how that really is going to help us get to this place of wholeness. Um, you say that the greater that one believes in their inherent belovedness, the healthier one's personality should be. And you also say that when we're unhealthy, we're often unaware of the ways we manipulate, coerce, or disengage from the world, causing us to believe in patterns that are not good for ourselves or for others. So I just want to start off with the person who maybe even is feeling like, okay, I don't know a whole lot about the Enneagram. Um, maybe there's been even things in this um, conversation that have sparked up where they've gone, yeah, that kind of, that seems to be part of something in my life I'm not excited about. How would you encourage someone to start even understanding their belovedness? Yeah, I mean, belovedness, we don't create it, we enter into it. That we, It's already bestowed on us. So that's the whole, the whole concept of Christian grace comes in. Like you don't have to create the beauty, you've got it. You don't have to create the mystery of God in you. It's there. And so learning to trust that, even when we don't believe it, is, is really good medicine. You know, I have a friend that starts his day using those Henri Nouwen phrases that I, I am not what I have. I am not what I do. I am not what other people say about me. In other words, there's something even deeper than that. I am who God says I am, and that's beloved. So remember, your personality is not your identity. Your identity is that you're a beloved child of God. And the more confident you are in that, the less you use your personality as a strategy to cope. When we don't believe in our belovedness, what we think is that we have to earn our identity. And so we use our personalities to do that. And when we do that, we manipulate others, we deceive ourselves, and we create all sorts of mischief because your personality is a strategy. So the healthier that your belovedness is, the, the healthier that you receive that. I think the, the, the healthier you become in your personality because you're not 
wielding your personality to become someone because you already are exactly who God says you are. Does that make sense? Totally. Well, I think there can be this um, need some of us can have for this idea of just striving to arrive somewhere, to be somewhere, to earn something. And um, like you said before, that idea of just being, realizing we can't earn that. I think it's, um, it's very simple, but it's very profound when we can actually be able to um, understand that in, from a place of depth. And I think that is really where that we can have this thriving and this flourishing. Um, and it almost actually can feel a sense of relief. Like, oh, I've been working so hard to try and maybe do something for God, earn something, like achieve, get somewhere. Um, and so I think really, I love that you start your book off that way because it is that really that rootedness and groundedness where we can go, okay, now from here, how do we kind of work on some of those, those rough edges or those places or things that begin to kind of spark up? Um, yeah, I've got this um, just amazing um, thing. I, I'm constantly coming back to where, you know, people will say, well, AJ, you know, when I pray, I don't hear anything from God. Um, does, you know, is God, why is God so quiet? And a few years ago, I just made peace with the fact that maybe if that's you, because, you know, you will say, we'll hear things like, why does everyone else seem to hear from God and I don't? Why do they get a word of knowledge and I don't? Why do they encounter the spirit and I just don't get anything? But, but what if this, what if whatever silence you're feeling like God is towards you is actually, um, it, it's actually the mystery that God has no accusation against you, that God has nothing to say um, God is not accusing you anymore, that that silence is God's acceptance of you as you are saying, I love you and come on a journey with me because I will transform your life one day after another. But I like to sort of invert the listener that's saying like, God doesn't speak to me like everybody else. It's like, sometimes that silence is God saying, I just want to be with you. And words are helpful, but they're not essential sometimes. I just love being in your presence. And that's, that's, that's a beautiful God, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, and I think it's, um, it really is, does go so against the grain of our world and our culture, really, that always, uh, regardless of your number, is um, we are in this place of hustle and striving. And, um, and it's hard to just say, wait, like, I don't have to do anything for God. I don't have to earn this. Um, I think about my kids, I have three girls, they're nine, six, and four. And all they really want in life is just to be not just with me. Like they want to be as close to me as possible. Um, and if somebody else is on my lap, they're going to like elbow that sister to get there. And I always think about that as just this beautiful way that like, we don't have to do anything, say anything. I don't need to entertain them. They just want to be with me. And, and I often think about that, um, in my time with God, what does that look like just to be just to be with him. And, um, you know, we can get this idea of presence, um, you know, being in the presence of God needs to be productive or there needs to be, um, you know, again, something that's kind of coming out of it. Well, what does it look like just to kind of enter in and just be? Um, I love that you share that. Now, um, if somebody feels like, okay, this is the very first thing I've heard about the Enneagram and I'd love to gain a little more self-awareness, where would you encourage them to start? 
Yeah, I mean, I think what I try to do in the, in the personality types of my book is to take the best scholarship out there, but to condense it to where you're not reading 40 pages on each type. So it's like three to four pages on each type to, to help you get into a range. Um, but, you know, I mean, from um, a secular standpoint, Don Richard Riso at the Enneagram Institute, um, I think it's the best stuff out there. And then from a, a sort of Christian standpoint, um, Ian Cron and Suzanne Stabile wrote a great book called The Road Back to You. Um, and I mean, there's just so much out there on it right now. I would encourage you, though, unless you're going to be a coach or something on this, um, be, be aware that you can get sucked pretty far down the rabbit hole. And again, the goal of the Enneagram for me isn't to know the Enneagram. It's to get beyond it into growing into, my, into Christ's likeness through spiritual practices and understanding the Bible through your personality. So, you know, um, I, I'm always wanting to help people not necessarily lose themselves down the Enneagram hole, but to, to know thyself in such a way that you can move beyond that into to conversations that transform and practices that transform. Well, that's so good. I um, was reading the section where you talk about um, various various Enneagram types and um, and spirit. Well, before we got to spiritual practices, it was um, oh, I can't find it in here now. Um, it oh, here it is. I have a huge a huge mark here, but I couldn't find it. Um, it, uh, because I, I mostly, uh, I basically identify as a four and it's interesting because I feel like the heart work that I have been doing with God over the last few years has been, um, towards these areas of depression, um, negativity. Um, it says we're prone to have a critical spirit. Um, and there is a difference between having a critical mind and a critical spirit. And, um, as I read those things, it was so interesting because I, it was a huge aha moment for me again in how these are already things that God is working with me on, right? They're already things that I feel like as we spend time together, it's like, oh, those are the things they, they are kind of those gross things that come up and I go, oh, that's maybe not lining up with who I feel like God has, has really made me to be. And so it's that kind of refining process. And so I can read those things and say, yeah, these are the things that I'm kind of prone to, uh, but I love how you have encouraged in here. What are the, what are the practices like not just in the journaling, but what can I do to actually begin to um, pray for other people in that moment? Or how can I shift the focus off myself? And I've actually had to um, some nights if I've gone to dinner with friends on the drive there, I've had to say, okay, how are you going to, make this about them, talk about them, like do those things. Um, and that may not seem very spiritual, but if I don't do that, I will actually leave the night feeling frustrated that they didn't ask me enough about me. And it's, again, it's that natural bent. And so what I love is that self-awareness actually helps me, um, I think partner with the Holy Spirit and again, continue to refine my natural, um, tendencies to be able to um, grow myself um, not that I'm growing myself but grow um, and and really partner with God to be able to kind of move forward because what you said earlier was that idea that you know there can be a lot of older Christians in the church not necessarily more mature Christians or people who have really grown and so I love that this is 
a tool. It's really well written. Um, there's a lot of great um, practical steps in there. And again, just this like lots of grace throughout. And I also really appreciate that, again, you're not saying that Enneagram is the be all end all, but this is a great tool. And so um, I hope if people have found this interesting, con this conversation interesting, they would check out your book, um, The Enneagram for Spiritual Formation. And where can they find that? Anywhere books are sold, you can find that Amazon to your brick and mortar. Okay, awesome. And I think if people head over to your Instagram as well, um, AJ has a lot of great videos um, on myths of Enneagram, um, currently a series as well on politics and Enneagram, and just some things that are really speaking into this cultural moment. And so AJ, thank you for um, connecting with us on Ready to Thrive. And I hope that this has helped people move one step closer to thriving. Yeah, joy, grace, and peace on you all. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening today. I really am so encouraged knowing how many of you are being encouraged by this message. And if you have found it helpful, would you mind just sharing it with a friend, leaving five stars or even a review wherever you listen to po podcasts, podcasts, keeping it super professional. Um, if you want to connect more with me, head over to Instagram where I'm at Jacqueline.Widener or if you want some free resources, head over to my website at JacquelineWidener.com. <laughs>